Thank you, brothers that have gone already this morning. Lord, have mercy upon us and thank you for your mercy that you've already shown. You have blessed and we pray that you will yet bless. Let's open our Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. Thank you, Brother Eric, for the singing. Brother Daniel, son, for the psalm, and Stephen, for your prayer, and all you men in the back room this morning. 1 Peter chapter 3. We have five verses to cover today. Verses 18 through 22. Verses 19 through 21 are a couple rabbits, rabbit trails. Because you will notice that verse 18 ends with being quickened by the Spirit. That is our Lord's resurrection. And Peter ties that back in at the end of verse 21 and then moves forward from that in verse 22 into his ascension. So verses 18 and 22 go together. And then verses 19 through 21, he deals with the flood and with baptism. I read to you these five verses. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometime were disobedient, when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was a-preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. The like figure, whereunto even baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God, Angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. Amen and amen. This is the word of the Lord to us. Last Sunday was 10 verses, verse 8 through 17. And they were almost exclusively in the imperative mood of verbs. Telling us what we should do. You look at verse 8. Finally, be, that's an imperative verb, be all of one mind. And it goes on that way for 10 verses. Now when we come to verse 18, these next five verses are all in the indicative mood. The imperative mood is a command or telling us to do something. The indicative mood is one relating history to us or telling us something that Christ did. Or factual information, which we're going to learn about baptism in that 21st verse. And so it's a little different. Peter can bounce around a little bit in writing his epistles. And so it's a little different this morning. But I hope that we can draw some warnings and exhortations to for our hearts out of verse 20, where the long-suffering of God is dealt with. And throughout, we're going to find that the Lord has spared us from a lot of heresies. And I, and I trust that we can make this simple for us all to understand. This, these five verses, if you want a theme for them, and what is Peter driving at, and this is one of the harder 
little sections of Scripture that I've studied to really get a hold of what is his theme or point. It is this, it's comfort. And he's going to drive at comfort from different standpoints. Verse 17, which we dealt with last Lord's Day, concludes several verses about suffering. They began at verse 14 where it says, but and if ye suffer for righteousness sake. So verses 14 through 17, last Lord's Day, we dealt with them in detail, cover suffering. And so verse 17 concludes that section, for it is better if the will of God be so that ye suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. If we're going to suffer, let's suffer for righteousness sake. If we're going to suffer, let's suffer for the gospel for no other reason. Let's not suffer for our own faults or crimes, but let's suffer for our religion if we're going to suffer. And the only way we're going to suffer is if it's the will of God for us to suffer because that 17th verse says, if the will of God be so. There's so much comfort in that and I I raced over those words last Lord's Day. If you have suffering in your life, it is because the will of God has chosen for it to be so. And if the will of God has chosen for it to be so, it is the infinitely perfect and righteous God that Daniel described from Psalm 67 that has made that choice. Therefore, we should be thankful with it. Know that he has a perfect plan in it for his glory and our profit if we respond properly. So from there, we have that four opening up verse 18, connecting verse 18 to it. For Christ also hath once suffered. And so... When we suffer for the for righteousness sake and when we suffer like Christ, we should be looking to the example of Jesus Christ who suffered for us. And so that's the theme of these five verses. Christ suffered for us and look where he ended up. In heaven, at the right hand of God, on the throne of glory, with all angels, authorities, and powers being subject to him. We should be encouraged to take suffering knowing that in the end, God will likewise exalt us if we endure suffering in this world. He's going to explain that in the days of Noah, God showed extreme long-suffering by an extra 120 years for the wicked inhabitants of this planet to to humble themselves and obey the preaching of Noah. He's going to show long-suffering. He's going to show Noah enduring opposition for 120 years with no one but his family joining him on the ark. And then God destroyed all those enemies. So these Jewish believers in what we would today call Turkey, who were suffering, every chapter in this epistle refers to their suffering. And this fourth chapter that we're going to get to next will refer to the fiery trials that were to try them. These people could look at Christ, look at Noah, see that Noah and his family were saved in the midst of destruction. It's going to say that they were saved by water. I thought they were saved from water. They were both. They were saved from water because that water drowned the rest of the earth's population, but they were saved by water because it was water that lifted up that ark above the wrath of God descending upon the rest of the planet. And so there's comfort for suffering for the cause of Christ. And being made a fool even in the, in the figure of baptism, which was like Noah, we can't get in the ark, which was a figure of Jesus Christ, but we can get in the waters of baptism, which is a figure of Jesus Christ. 
And He's the one that is at God's right hand. And so we have five verses that should give comfort to those that are suffering. And uh, these brethren were suffering. Today you need to ask yourself, am I in or out? Am I in Christ or out of Him? If the ark were here, would you be in it? Or would you be out of it? Well, I don't like water and I don't like thinking about drowning, so I think I'd be in it. You wouldn't get in it that easily. Because the preacher that took on passengers was a preacher of righteousness. And you wouldn't get in the ark without passing his message. Because Second Peter chapter 2 and verse 5 tells us that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. And most men don't like righteousness. And in this generation, none of them liked righteousness. That's why no one joined him. When Paul got to sit down with Felix, he reasoned with him of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come. Felix trembled, but he didn't respond, but humbly obeying the apostles' words to him, and they didn't obey Noah. They were disobedient in that time. Are you for or against Christ? Jesus the just died for the unjust, that we would be just, that we would give the answer of a good conscience toward God, that we would be like Noah, who's in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 7, by faith Noah. The proverb for Friday was Proverbs 21 and verse 29, which my father, without any conspiring with me, used this morning in the back room. A wicked man hardeneth his face, but as for the upright, he directeth his way. An upright man constantly humbles himself and says, Teach me, Lord. Correct me, Lord. Show me where I am wrong. And lead me in paths of righteousness for thy name's sake. Let's make sure we do that this day. 1 Peter chapter 3 verses 18 through 22. Let's look at them. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins. That adverb also tells us quickly that there's a comparison being made between some suffering. And it's the explanation I've already given you as to why Peter goes into this little five-verse section. He is comforting those that suffer from verse 17 with the fact that Jesus Christ also suffered. This is not... Peter repeats himself sometimes. That's okay. He didn't do anything wrong. He is inspired by the Holy Spirit. Do you remember from chapter 2 when he spent several verses that we as employees on the job in the world should submit and suffer wrongfully enduring grief from a froward boss, he then immediately moved to Christ that Christ had done something similarly by being quiet and not threatening when he was on trial. If you flip back just to chapter 2, you can see that in verses 18 through 20, it's talking about suffering on the job. And sometimes we have to do that on the job. And it says in verse 21, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ, here's that adverb again, also suffered for us, leaving us an example, that ye should follow His steps. And I preached through that, phrase by phrase, and it goes on and describes the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because once Peter took that little aside and looked at Christ, 
He just kept going on it for a few verses. And that's the same thing that we have right here. These people were suffering. And I, in a certain way, and for a certain purpose, I'm sorry that you and I are not suffering. You would lay hold of this passage more tightly. You might understand it better. You would appreciate it more. They were suffering. They were losing their lives. They were being imprisoned. They were losing family. They were losing their place in the synagogue. They were losing their jobs. They were suffering the loss of all things. And this is comforting for them. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins. He did it one time. When He was here on earth in His flesh, He suffered for sins. And they weren't His sins. They were your sins and my sins. The work of Jesus Christ was only done once. And it was done once on the cross. And it's the cross where He said, It is finished. He didn't say, It is started. And I'm now going to descend into hell and finish it. The puke that I have had to read the last couple of weeks in preparation for this is startling. I didn't know that it was as bad as it is and as bad as it was about that 19th verse by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which we'll deal with in just a moment. For Christ also hath suffered, hath once suffered for sins. Oh, brethren, he didn't suffer because he had faults. He didn't suffer because he was a criminal. He suffered because he took our sins upon him. He who knew no sin was made sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. The Lord Jesus Christ exposed all the Old Testament sacrifices to be insufficient. The sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ exposes Roman Catholic sacrifices to be blasphemous because they come on this side of the cross. Once you have suffered for sins, like Jesus did, once you have suffered, not for your sins, but once you have suffered for righteousness, like Jesus did in securing righteousness for us, the blessings will follow. Because the Lord Jesus Christ was exalted to the right hand of God. And if you'll keep, I don't know how you mark your Bible, and I'm not going to tell you how to do it, but you keep verse 18 and verse 22 connected, because they are most definitely connected. And in between, we have a couple rabbit trails. But Peter gets right back to the point that it doesn't end with the resurrection. And that's one thing I want our church to always remember and emphasize. The the Bible doesn't end with the resurrection of Christ. So many get wrapped up in His birth at this so-called Christ's Mass Roman Catholic holiday. Then they get excited about Astarte Day in the spring where they have sunrise services, and that's with a U, a sunrise service, and they remember Good Friday where he died, and supposedly Sunday morning when he rose, but where's his ascension? Who cares if he arose? If he didn't ascend to the right hand of the Father. If he didn't ascend to the right hand of the Father, he didn't fulfill all the prophecies made in the Old Testament about him, and he is not there to intercede on your behalf. He did ascend into heaven. Remember the great mystery of godliness, 1 Timothy 3.16, and without controversy, great 
is the mystery of godliness. This is what we believe, summarized in one verse, 1 Timothy 3.16. And these things ought to light you up. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the Spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. And so we have that 22nd verse there at the end. Back to verse 18. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins. And he ended up at the right hand of God, exalted and promoted greatly. And the Bible says in Psalm 16, where there were pleasures and where there are pleasures forevermore. The just for the unjust. Jesus was just. A person who is just, as Thursday's proverb taught you, the just man walketh in his integrity. A just man does that which is morally right. He's righteous. He's righteous in the sight of God. He's a just man. He does what is right. Jesus was just. The just for the unjust. Just in case you're suffering like verse 17 describes and you're suffering for well-doing. You are doing well, but you are suffering for it Jesus came and laid down His life for the unjust. He did well, but not only did, was He not rewarded for doing well, He had to go be punished for those that didn't do well. His enemies, the just for the unjust. The just dying for the unjust is the only way that God could be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Romans 3.26 A perfectly just God must punish all sins. So how can He justify anyone? By Jesus Christ coming between and taking our sins upon Him, God can be just and the justifier. He's just because He punished all the sins of His elect in their entirety to the extent of the law in Jesus Christ. Praise His glorious name. This transaction is not fair or right. Right would be us suffering for our sins. This transaction is gracious and merciful. Because the just God provided a substitute for us. It's pure grace and mercy. Free, fully demerited favor for God to send His Son, the just, to die for the unjust. And why? That He might bring us to God. I love this expression. That He might bring us to God. This is a different form for Almost a facet of salvation. Just a few weeks ago, you heard the facets of salvation that He might bring us to God. We were separated from God. Very separated from God. The holy and just God was in heaven. We were upon earth. He was righteous. We were wicked. He was guiltless. We were condemned. Very separated. We were vile, filthy, and had degenerate natures that hated Him. Loved sin and hated righteousness. And He's perfectly righteous. He cannot look upon evil or iniquity approvingly. We were separated. That He might bring us to God. The just for the unjust. That the just God could be reconciled to us. And so we think of those facets of salvation like justification, satisfaction, redemption, and acceptance. Four of the 17 facets taught in the New Testament. The facets of a diamond. The diamond of salvation. 
That we were justified. That, that Jesus Christ satisfied God on our behalf. That He redeemed us from the claims of God's law against us. And that we were accepted in the Beloved. Wonderful truth. And it's reflected in those words that He might bring us to God. Thank you, Lord. But then we look at the relational terms, the relational facets, like reconciliation, propitiation, and atonement. At one again. That He might bring us to God. What a work! What a work this daysman did. What a work this one mediator between God and man did. You were without hope and God in the world. You were without hope and you were without God in the world. And God sent His Son Jesus Christ, the just for the unjust, to stand between God and you and to make a propitiation for your sins and blow them out of the way. God was in Christ reconciling the world of His elect to Himself. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And hath made you accepted in the Beloved. He's brought you to God. And it is not done yet. He still has some bringing to do. And the bringing that He's going to do in the future is so certain, as I prayed earlier this morning, it is in the past tense in the Bible. For whom He did foreknow, it goes all the way down, He justified, He glorified. Well, we're not glorified yet. But He's able to call those things which be not as though they were by the power of His will and the power and His ability to perform His will. He still has to bring us to God. How's He going to take us to God? He's going to take all of us to God. If you die before the Lord Jesus Christ returns, your body's going to be laid in a cemetery six feet down in some sort of a coffin, in some sort of a vault, under six feet of dirt. But Jesus Christ is coming back to raise that body out of that coffin, out of that vault, through that ground, and to stand before God. Jesus Christ is coming back to bring us to God, even in our bodies. Then He'll change our bodies. They're not going to be these corruptible bodies. We're going to be changed. You know, how far has He done? How great is His work? How far has He brought us to God? We are the sons and daughters of God. That is an incredible accomplishment. We were wretches, condemned, filthy and vile, under His law, deserving eternal torment. But Jesus brought us to God, that He might bring us to God. What did He do to do that? He suffered. He suffered in this world for your sins and for my sins. The just for the unjust. He was put to death in the flesh. Jesus had two natures. Jesus had a human nature. That human nature has two parts. It's called three different things. But two parts, body and spirit. When the spirit is in the body, you can call it the soul. A soul. The body can be called soul. The spirit can be called soul. But there are two parts. Spirit and body. Jesus Christ had a human nature and He had a divine nature. And this says He was put to death in the flesh. His human nature was the one that went to the cross. It was His body that died. His human body that died. And that leaves us with His divine nature and His human spirit. Which you'll want to remember. But it says being put to death in the flesh. He was killed. Jesus was murdered. The Son of God was murdered. The one that God prepared a body for in Hebrews chapter 10, the first 14 verses, that body was killed. That body was sliced. 
That body was pierced. That body was beaten. That body was scourged. And eventually, sufficient blood ran from it that that body died. He was put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. He still had a divine nature in such close connection to God that we always have to be very careful to even try to separate them. Jesus is called the Word of God. Jesus is called the Everlasting Father. And the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Christ. Just remember that. There's only one God. And those three, there are three that bear record in heaven. The Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. So don't try to pull them apart and think that there are three gods. Or so pull them apart that they cannot be connected. The Bible says that the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the water. Is He the Creator? The Bible says that we pray to God the Father as the Creator of heaven and earth. But I thought the Bible says that all things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Referring to Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh. We want to be careful. All of them. Because there's one God. Be very careful. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, it says that God said, it uses singular, let us, what kind of a pronoun is that? Plural. And so it goes back and forth from singular to plural, and we want to be careful. But you want to remember that Jesus Christ had a human nature. He did not just have a human body, He had a human spirit. He grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and men in His human nature. His body grew in stature. He grew in wisdom in His spirit. And this verse, verse 18, which we're now leaving, Christ also hath once suffered for sins. The audience that Peter addressed were not the only ones that were suffering. Jesus had also suffered the just for the unjust. His suffering was far less equitable than theirs, far more unreasonable than theirs. And why did He do it? That He might bring us to God and He has brought us to God. Do you know how to think about yourself? You are a son of God that ought to act like a son of God. You should think like a son of God and you should speak like a son of God and live like one. We heard that from Psalm 67. We should be thankful for God's blessings already in our lives. We should we should adore Him in our hearts. We should admire Him in our minds. We should think upon Him and muse upon Him. He is our Father in heaven. Little children think their fathers are omnipotent for the first years of their lives. Omniscient. Especially when we find them doing something wrong. Omnipresent. When dad comes home and finds me riding my bicycle in the street. How could that have happened? We want to be exalting our father in heaven. And it's not the childish little metaphor that I just gave you or the comparison. Because the God in heaven, you can never exhaust Him. You can't even get close to Him. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And His greatness is unsearchable. You'll never search Him to the end. He can satisfy the soul and then some for as long as you live. No matter what effort you apply to the task. Oh Lord, thank You for bringing us to Thee by the Lord Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, thank You for bringing us to Thee. Thank You, Lord of heaven and earth, 
for sending your son to bridge the gulf between thee and us. Thank you for sending the one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Thank you for your son being the daysman to put one hand upon thee and one hand upon us. Thank you for the mediation that has taken place. Oh Lord, thank you for putting us at one again. Thank you for bringing us to thee by your son Jesus according to your predestinating purpose. In Jesus' name, amen. He was quickened by the Spirit. Romans chapter 1 and verse 4 says that the Lord Jesus Christ made of the seed of David according to the flesh was declared to be the Son of God with power by His resurrection from the dead by the Spirit of holiness. So in some places, the Holy Spirit is described as the agent of Jesus Christ's resurrection. But now, that Holy Spirit is also called the Spirit of Christ. Chapter 1 and verse 11 of this epistle, Peter's already given this little hint. Now see, in chapter 2 he gave us a hint of using Jesus as an example for suffering, though the death of Jesus Christ was far greater than an example. The death of many liberals, whatever you want to mean by that today, believe that Jesus Christ died sort of a martyr's death to give us an example. But Jesus died a penal death of substitution for His people assigned to Him in the doctrine of representation by Almighty God in the same way that Adam was assigned to be the federal head of the whole human race in the Garden of Eden. Jesus died a penal substitutionary death on the cross where God looked at Him with our sins upon Him as us, as if God was killing us in the person of His Son, Jesus Christ. But while Jesus was doing that, it was also an example of how we should take suffering, how we should take opposition, how we should take enemies, and how we should deal with them. Jesus loved His enemies. Father, forgive them. If you can't do that, forgiving those that have sinned against you, you are not a Christian. You are not a child of God. Just get used to it. Because you're going to hear it from the King I represent shortly. Christians forgive their enemies. Fully, freely, immediately, quickly, and very easily. Because they know how God has forgiven them. And Jesus did that. And so you can come to passages like chapter 2. I can submit to my boss at work. I don't care what he does to me. I don't care that he didn't give me the raise that he promised me. I'm going to be cheerful about it. And I'm going to go in there and be the best employee. You've done something thankworthy toward God because Jesus Christ did that when He was on trial. He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. While He was hanging on the cross, getting near to the moment of expiration of His life. This is His religion. Everything turns around the Lord Jesus Christ. He saved us and He gave us an example of how we should live. This is the Christian religion. You can't measure it by what you believe because the devils believe more than you believe. The devils know the heresies that I'm about to expose better than I know the heresies that I'm about to expose. That isn't the evidence of eternal life. I couldn't care less if a person believes in election, predestination, that regeneration occurs before faith and conversion or anything like that. It doesn't mean anything. The devils believe it. What do we look for? What does the Bible teach us to look for? The love of the brethren. Devils don't love. Devils have plenty of faith. They have more than enough to go around. It causes them to tremble. Let's look into our hearts and have the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
taking suffering cheerfully. So what is patience in the Bible? It's the mark of perfection of a child of God. It's cheerfully enduring negative events. What's the greatest measure of a child of God? Love of the brethren, charity, so forth. Okay, quickened by the Spirit. Verse 19, the Holy Spirit, the divine nature of Jesus Christ, raised his body from the dead, so he was quickened, which means to be made alive again. He wasn't kept alive because he truly did die, so we are dealing with his body in the last part of that verse, because the previous clause in that verse said, in his flesh, being put to death in the flesh. So when the word flesh is used like that, since Jesus didn't have a flesh sin nature, it's referring to the soft parts of our body that are attached to the bones. The fleshly existence of a human body, Jesus died, but was quickened by the Spirit. The divine nature of Christ came and empowered that that body and put the human soul spirit of Christ back into it, and He was quickened from the dead. He was made live again. That spirit left that body at the moment of death. Jesus, The Bible says Jesus gave up the ghost. Another word for spirit. That spirit that is in a man that animates him left him. But three days and three nights later, that spirit re-entered that body and animated it, and it was quickened. It was made alive. Again, and so we have the 18th verse. Verse 19, by which, that is the spirit, the eternal spirit, the divine nature of Christ, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of Christ, by which, it's referring back to verse 18, and we have the spirit as the last noun and personal pronoun, a personal noun and name right there of the Spirit, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison. Now this verse says that Jesus went and preached to the spirits in prison, but it tells us how he did it. He did it by the Spirit that raised him from the dead. What Spirit raised him from the dead? His divine nature, the Holy Spirit, called the Spirit of Christ. Oh, I was going to show you. I got waylaid. Never have anything like that happen? One wire pops out of a wire nut and falls down and hits another loose wire? But it came back. That's a, that's, that's a sign that things are okay. When it doesn't come back, we're in trouble. Chapter 1 and verse 11, I wanted to show you this because Peter, I got off by his example. Peter has given us a few hints of how to interpret some of the things he says later by some of the things he said earlier. Verse, chapter 1 and verse 11, Searching what? Or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify. Now what are we talking about in this verse? We are talking about Old Testament prophets and the Spirit of Christ was in them. Could that be His human spirit? No, it had to be His divine spirit. The Holy Spirit. His, his divine nature. In the same way, Hebrews 1-2 God, who at sundry times and in divers' manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by His Son, hath in these last days, last days, spoken unto us by His Son, by whom also He made the worlds. Now, how did Jesus make the worlds when Jesus didn't come into existence until the separation of B.C. and A.D.? In His divine nature, He was the Word of God. He had that Word of God as His divine nature. That divine nature came into to wonderful, mysterious, incarnational union with a human nature in the womb of Mary. And that is Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God. And so it makes statements like that 
that Jesus has spoken unto us in these last days. But in the earliest days, uh, no, before there were any days, He made the worlds in His divine nature. In His human nature, He preached the gospel. I'm not going there any further because we will ruin this passage. We have preached that before and I hope that you all understand that. But I want you to know when it says, by which also He went. He went by His divine nature. The Bible refers Ephesians 3.9, Colossians chapter 1, that Jesus Christ created all things. He created them in His divine nature. And it was in this divine nature that quickened His mortal body and put His human spirit back into it that He went and preached. By which also He went and preached unto the spirits in prison. Now let me just help you here a little bit uh, by trying to summarize what we're reading. Jesus, in His divine nature, as the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, which directed and inspired the Old Testament prophets, according to chapter 1 and verse 11, was also in Noah, the preacher, instead of the prophets, the writers of Scripture, He was in Noah, the preacher, preaching righteousness and a coming flood upon the world to His generation. And those men disobeyed Noah. They didn't believe his record, so God drowned them and sent their spirits to hell. And their spirits were in hell when Peter was writing this epistle. Jesus had preached to them by his spirit and divine nature through Noah when they were alive on earth. That's verse 19. If you don't get this right, here's your cure. Jesus went and preached by the ministry and power of the Holy Spirit to the antediluvians. What in the world was that word? Anta, A-N-T-E, not anti, but anta, before the deluge. Antediluvians. They're the men that lived before the flood. The generation before the flood. Jesus, by His Spirit, went and preached to them in Noah. Jesus of Nazareth didn't come into existence for another 2,500 years because the flood occurred in the year 1656 after creation. About 2,500, 2,400 years later, Jesus Christ was born. Jesus of Nazareth and God the Word joined Himself to that at, at the moment of conception so that the Bible says in Luke one thirty-five to Mary, that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. So before that, it was the Word of God. It was the Spirit of God. It was the Spirit of Christ. Different combinations of words, but still one God in three persons and sometimes different duty, different works and acts by those persons are ascribed to other ones in the Godhead telling us that we should not think ourselves so wise that we can pull apart the Godhead because we cannot. I love Psalm 131 and verse 1 when it gets to things like this. I am not haughty. Neither are my eyes lofty to exercise myself in matters too high for me. Let's just stick with Scripture. Thank you, Lord. Jesus did this through Noah during the 120 years it took to build the ark. Jesus, and the Bible says in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 3, My spirit shall not always strive with man. How was God striving with man? He had a preacher on earth, and that preacher's name was Noah, and Noah was preaching a gospel, a message of righteousness, 
and repentance, and no one obeyed it. He did this. Jesus went and preached by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus in His divine nature went and did this. I'm, I'm rewording it for your benefit, not mine. I want to, you to all catch up and know what it's saying here in this 19th verse, by which also He went in His divine nature. By that eternal Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, called the Spirit of Christ. He did this when the antediluvians were alive with bodies, not disembodied spirits now. They were spirits in prison without bodies, because the bodies were in the ground, waterlogged, but in the ground because they had drowned 2,500 years before Peter wrote this. Their spirits were in prison when Peter was writing. Jesus and the, and the eternal Spirit didn't go to hell to find these spirits and preach to spirits. He preached to them when they were in their bodies. You say, that just sounds too confusing to me. Okay, let me try this one on you. My wife went to Bates Elementary School when she was six years old. Do you have a problem understanding that? Was Sherry my wife when she was six years old? Did we get married when she was five? This is, let me give you one from the Bible. I'm going to give it to you again. Hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son. You know what, when you hear, when you read those words, don't you see the Son of God preaching the Sermon on the Mount beside the Sea of Galilee, sitting on Peter's boat, preaching to the crowd? Do you see him? Hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, by whom also he made the worlds. Did that same being sitting on Peter's boat make the worlds? Or was it the Word of God that made the worlds? And here, he went and preached, he went and preached unto the spirits in prison. He went and preached to those men whose spirits were then in prison when Peter was writing this, but when they were preached to by Noah, it's going to tell you when it happened in the next verse, it, they were in their bodies. He did this when the antediluvians were living in the vicinity of Noah or somewhere in Mesopotamia when the ark was being built. The Holy Spirit, through Noah, the preacher of righteousness, addressed the antediluvians. If you'll turn just a few pages to 2 Peter chapter 2, we can read about Noah being a preacher of righteousness. 2 Peter 2, 5. And spared not the old world. By the way, Peter liked the flood. Peter's going to use the flood three times in eight chapters. More than Paul. Paul didn't refer to the flood hardly at all compared to Peter in just eight chapters. 2 Peter 2, 5. And spared not the old world, but spared Noah the eighth person. There were seven others on that ark. A preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. So there he was a preacher of righteousness to the ungodly world that lived at that time, which now their bodies were just uh, waterlogged and totally corrupted in the ground someplace, but their spirits were in prison. You say, why would God write verse 19 the way that he did? Because it looked so easy for someone to look at that verse and end up with Jesus going down to hell and preaching to condemned spirits. Why would Jesus write his Bible knowing that somebody would make that mistake? So that somebody would make that mistake. Because if you don't want to trust what the Bible says, then you're going to end up with Jesus going down into hell. Which most people like to believe. 95% of all Christians 
Christians believe that Jesus went to hell for the three days and three nights between His death and His resurrection. By which also He went and preached unto the spirits in prison. They weren't spirits in prison when they were preached to. They were bodies and spirits on earth when they were preached to. Well, I just don't like combining something that's in the present with something that was in the past that leaves me confused. That's why I've said to you, my wife, Sherry, went to Bates Elementary School when she was six years old in Dexter, Michigan. Do you have a problem? Does that mess you up? This shouldn't mess you up. Hath in these last days spoken unto us by His Son, by whom also He made the worlds. Jesus made the worlds in His divine nature. These people, when they had their bodies, were in the days of Noah, as the next verse describes. I don't have any more time to, to keep repeating myself about this, and I don't want to repeat myself and bore you. Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, the divine nature of Jesus Christ, the Spirit of Christ, His, the God part of the Lord Jesus Christ, went and did this through Noah during the 120 years while the ark was being built. He did this when the antediluvians were alive with bodies, but they were then, now, when Peter wrote that epistle, in prison, and they are still in prison, the spirits of that generation that didn't obey Noah. They were spirits in prison when Peter wrote this epistle, and they are still in that prison today, but they were not spirits when they heard Noah preaching by the Spirit before the flood came, for they were living souls with body and spirit as part of the world of the ungodly. Did you know that President Lincoln was born in Kentucky? Was he President Lincoln when he was born? We do this all the time. We combine, we combine these different, different time aspects into one sentence just regularly, but because we know the context, it, it's no problem to us. And this is no problem to you when I do this. Not quite yet. Man has a body and a spirit, and the distinction must be preserved and parts rightly defined. Always remember that man has a body and has a spirit. Man's spirit is the animating life, energy, and force, giving life to the body. Death is the spirit departing from the body. And the difference is ginormous, as some people like to say. When a spirit leaves the body, it just turns into clay. Right there in front of you, that animating power that's in it has departed. It's giving up the ghost. It's giving up the the animating force that's in it that puts light in the eyes and smile in the mouth and activates the brain and controls the, uh, the organs of the body. It's the, it's the spirit that just disappears. God took some dust of the earth and formed man and breathed into his nostrils the, the breath of life. When a person dies, they go, it's, it's just, it's simple. And where does that spirit go? Back to God. That spirit goes to God. The body goes down into the ground and corrupts. Where do the spirits of men go after they die? They go to God. And the righteous go to heaven and the wicked go to hell. To be absent from the body, the Bible says, is to be present with the Lord. Paul said, I would rather depart this life and be present with Christ. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 23. Now listen to me carefully. Where did Jesus go when He died on the cross? When Jesus died on the cross, He said, let's go there, Luke, Luke 23. We've got to have this before your eyes. We don't want to believe in soul sleep. We don't believe in soul sleep of the Jehovah's Witnesses or the Seventh-day Adventists. And we don't believe that Jesus went to hell when He died in His Spirit for the next three days and three nights 
to preach down there to those that lived in Noah's generation before the flood. If Jesus went down to hell to preach to those that lived with Noah before the flood, why didn't he preach to the rest of the Gentiles? They got two shots. The rest of the Gentiles didn't get either of them. They got Noah, then they got Jesus in hell. While Jesus was preaching to them in hell, did they get a second chance? Or was it just to rub hell in their faces? Listen, do you remember a few questions that I generated questions for Mr. Arminian? We could generate a few questions right now, but it's not my purpose this morning. It's ridiculous. Okay, time. Red hymnals. And we're not going to sing the invitation yet. (laughs) Red hymnals, 845. Way at the back, after the songs, I've thought about us saying this in unison, so that we could hear the sound of what it's like in 95% of all other Christian, so-called Christian assemblies. Page 845, this is the Apostles' Creed. I read it to you. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. This is a good Presbyterian hymnal. He descended into hell. The third day, He rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there He will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Most Christian churches will go through that little baby today. It's a baby that needs to be thrown out with the bathwater when I call it a baby. He descended into hell. The Apostles' Creed. That's what they get from verse 19 by not reading the rest of the Bible. So we're in Luke chapter 23. There's a thief on the cross that has repented and begged the Lord Jesus Christ for mercy by saying, Lord, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Jesus said to him in verse 43, Verily I say unto thee, Today... Shalt thou be with me in paradise? Where did Jesus go when he died on the cross? His body was hung there. Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea came and got it. They wrapped it. They put it in a tomb that had been purchased by Joseph Arimathea for himself. His body was in the ground for three days and three nights, called the heart of the earth. By the word of by the Lord Jesus himself, his spirit went to heaven. You say, can you prove that paradise is heaven? Easily, if you'll read the Bible with me, but just a moment. I, I want to enjoy the mo- this moment right now. Today, thou shalt be with me in paradise. Se- I'm serious. I want to enjoy this, and I want you to enjoy it with me. Right. Do you mean that we can blow away 2.2 billion other Christians that believe the Apostles' Creed? Yes, with the Bible. That's a Roman Catholic creed. They acknowledge that it didn't even really, they don't even have any evidence of it until the fourth century. The apostles didn't write it, and if the apostles had written it, it wouldn't mean squat to us. Come and ask me later what I mean by squat. It wouldn't mean anything to us. Even if the apostles had written it, because if it's not in the Bible, it's not worth knowing. 
We follow apostolic tradition, and that apostolic tradition is found in the pages of Scripture. That's the Apostles' Creed. That's a man-made invention. There's two heresies in there. I believe in one Catholic church. No, I don't. I believe that Jesus descended into hell. No, we don't. Luke 23 and verse 43. The thief has asked for Jesus to remember him when he comes into his kingdom. Is Jesus' kingdom the place of the damned? When Jesus comes into his kingdom, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. You'll be with me. The two of us will be together. We're both going to be in a place called paradise. If you do much reading on this subject, you're going to learn all kinds of new words from Hebrew and Greek. You're going to learn about Sheol. You're going to learn about Gehenna. You're going to learn about Hades. You're going to learn about Tartarus. You're going to learn about Limbo. You're going to learn about all kinds of holding cells. They've got all these holding tanks in the universe going under different names where the righteous are held in holding until heaven, where the wicked are held in holding until hell. They're not taught in the Bible. The Apostle Paul, wasn't. he didn't say, to be absent from the body is to be in my holding tank in soul sleep. He said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Get excited, brethren. The Lord's been so merciful to us. How do we know better than the Apostles' Creed? By the grace of God and the pages of the Bible. And no other. Okay, down to verse 46. Just a few moments later. A little while later. Verse 46. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, He said, He cried, It is finished with a loud voice. Then He said, Father, into Thy hands I commend My Spirit. And having said thus, He gave up the ghost. There we have spirit defined as ghost and ghost defined as spirit. He gave up that spirit, part of his human nature, into the hands of his father. By faith at the moment of death, though God had forsaken him, he had come to do the will of God. And at that moment when he was passing and that black curtain of death was closing in upon him and he gave his last breath, his last breath was, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Where did Jesus' spirit go at the moment of death? In the hands of God the Father. Not into the hands of the devil. Not into the abode of the damned. Not into any place, but in the presence of God. Now where's paradise? Where do we go to find out paradise is, the, is heaven? Another word for heaven. That's Abraham's bosom. We go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And I only ask that question not to make anyone feel bad. I want you to think. Listen, we want some of these verses. Right. We want. If you want to write some cross references in, because Jesus said, "Today thou shalt be with me in paradise," and paradise is no holding tank. Second Corinthians twelve verse one: It is not expedient for me, doubtless, to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ above fourteen years ago. This is Paul talking about himself. Whether in the body I cannot tell, or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth. I don't know if I had my body with me when I went to heaven or not. But I went. Such an one caught up to the third heaven. The third heaven. Does that sound like a holding tank to you? 
And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell. God knoweth, he says it again in verse 3, verse 4, how that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which it is not lawful for a man to utter. Is that because he went to hell and heard the cursings of devils and he couldn't, and he shouldn't utter those words? Or was he in the presence of heaven and he heard things that he shouldn't come back to share on earth because they were beyond the pages of scripture? The third heaven. The first heaven is where the birds fly. The second heaven is where Pluto is. And the rest of this galaxy, the galaxy, our galaxy and the whole universe. The third heaven is the presence of God. He was in the presence of God and it was called paradise. That's where the thief went to be in the presence of God. Come over to Revelation chapter two and there's one more cross reference to write down. And now you might want to write this one beside second Corinthians chapter 12. It's Revelation two seven. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. The tree of life in the presence of God called the paradise of God. Or do we have the tree of life growing where it shouldn't grow? Do we have it in Hades? Is it in Sheol? Is it in Tartarus? Does limbo have the privilege of having the tree of life? Or is the tree of life in heaven where you can eat the fruit of its, the fruit off its branches for eternity? Lord have mercy upon us. First Peter chapter three. Thank you for saving us from Rome. Do you, no wonder it says in Revelation chapter 17 and verse five, she is the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. The abominable idea that Jesus went to hell. Where did Jesus go? Today thou shalt be with me in paradise, in the presence of God, the paradise of God, the third heaven, where unspeakable things are going on that are beyond the pages of Scripture in their glory and beauty that were not lawful for Paul to share with us. Jesus said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Receive my spirit, Father. Please accept my spirit. As by faith he died on the cross of Calvary and gave up the ghost. Is this consistent with what the rest of the Bible teaches? Look at Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews 12. Where's Abraham right now? Do you think it's fair to say he's in Abraham's bosom? Who's buried in Grant's tomb? Where were the Paris peace talks held? Where's Abraham? He's the God of the living, not of the dead. His body is still on earth, but Abraham is in Abraham's bosom. Who else is in Abraham's bosom? Lazarus, the beggar that was at the rich man's gate. When the rich man died, where did he end up? Six feet down or a little farther? In hell. What did he describe it as? I need a four-letter word. Don't let me finish that one. Fire. The fire of this torment. Can I have a drop of water from my parched tongue? You say, why does it say that Jesus Christ is going to have to come back to earth and we have the great day of judgment, then they're cast into the lake of fire? You're making it sound like they're already in the lake of fire. Yes, but what are they missing? There's two things that are lacking. They're missing their bodies. And judgment, the formal declaration and sentencing. We do the exact same thing in our own judicial system. When somebody is arrested for a crime, are they immediately incarcerated? Are they put in a... What do we call it in Greenville County? Detention center. 
sometimes called a city jail or a prison, if it's going to be a long-term situation before they're called forth to their trial. And their trial is the formal sentencing of, this is the crime that you have done, you are guilty of this crime, and this is the punishment that you are going to receive for eternity, and that is going to happen in the great day of judgment. They will be hauled back up out of one place, formally sentenced, given their bodies, and put right back. There is no description of holding tanks. The righteous are in the presence of God right now because Paul said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But what's he missing? He's missing his body. In the great day of resurrection, Jesus is going to raise all the bodies. He's going to put the spirits back into the bodies. And body and spirit is going to go into everlasting torment or everlasting pleasure in the presence of God. Two things change. The formal sentencing before the universe, which, as the Bible describes it, is a pretty important and severe event. Paul said, knowing the terror of the Lord in the light of this matter, we persuade men. We shall give an account of our lives. Paul said that. Romans chapter 14, 9 through 11, and 2 Corinthians 5, 9 through 11. Revelation chapter 20, the great white, saw a great white throne and him that sat upon it, who, from whose face the heaven and the earth fled away. Then in their death and hell delivered up the bodies that were in them. The dead. Death delivered up the dead that were in them. And they were judged with their spirits and cast into the lake of fire if you weren't found in the book of life. This is the event that's coming. Hebrews 12, verse 22. But ye are coming to Mount Zion. Hebrews 12, 22. But ye are coming to Mount Zion. And under the city of the living God, this is not Mount Zion on earth, this is Mount Zion in heaven. Mount Zion was a mountain on which Jerusalem was built, which made it impregnable for military purposes, ordinarily, unless God gave the city away. But ye are coming to Mount Zion, and under the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels. Does this sound like heaven to you? It's the city of the living God. Does it sound like heaven to you? Is there something here that I'm missing? Does it sound a little bit like hell? Ye are coming to Mount Zion, and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels. To me, that sounds like heaven. Because it's set. Anyway, I hope it sounds like heaven to you. To the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God the judge of all. God's there. And to the spirits of just men made perfect. See? All the spirits of just men. When Paul wrote this in 60 AD, who is one of those spirits of just men? The thief is a spirit of a just man made perfect. How is he made perfect since he doesn't have his body yet? Sin is gone. Do you know what sin is attached to? Your body. He gets to leave that all behind and he's in heaven. The spirit, Abraham's there. It's called Abraham's bosom in one place. Why is it ever called Abraham's bosom? Because Abraham was a Jew and that's very comforting to Jews. Because Abraham in Hebrews chapter 11 he, was, he did not want anything in this world. He was seeking for a heavenly city and a heavenly country. Doesn't it say that? A city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. What does this say? The city of the living God. Do you know where Abraham's bosom is? It's there. It's heaven. The spirits of just men made perfect and to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant because he's sitting at the right hand of God because he said today I'm going to be in paradise with you 
repentant thief and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. It's the blood of sprinkling that gets us into heaven. It's the blood of sprinkling that keeps us in heaven. It's God's will and Jesus Christ's completion of His purpose on earth that keeps us in heaven. It's not Jesus going and wrestling with the devil in hell. This is the word of the Lord to us. Soul sleep. There is no such thing as soul sleep. When you die, your body sleeps. When it says we sleep in Jesus, it's referring to our bodies. But our spirits go to be with the Lord, and our spirits are very much alive. And our spirits are very much awake. Because it's enjoying the presence of God. To depart and to be with Christ is far better. Did Paul have a decent relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ while on earth? then how is it going to be far better for him to depart? Because he would get rid of his sin nature. His body would drop off. He would be there and he would be made perfect in the presence of God and his spirit and Jesus would be there in a perfect... The Jehovah's Witnesses and the Seventh-day Adventists have come up with soul sleep. The Roman Catholics have come up with Jesus went down into hell. Where do they come up with this junk? Why did... Why did God write the Bible with the words by which also He went and preached unto the spirits in prison? <laughs> and if you don't know the answer to that, you need to listen to a series of messages called Is God the Author of Confusion? Absolutely He is. And if you want to read the account of the crucifixion in Luke 23, where Jesus says, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. And Father, Into thy hands I commend my spirit. If you want to read those two things about the spirit of Jesus, then go to 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 19 and say that Jesus went to hell. Jesus has a verse for you to hang yourself with. Swing in the breeze. 95% of all so-called Christians, 2.2 million, one-third of the earth's population, believe that Apostles' Creed. And they quote it like the Muslims listen to the Quran or the Arabic prayers that are squealed five times a day in Muslim countries instead of looking for the sense in the Word of God. Look at Psalm 6 and verse 5. Psalm 6 and verse 5. I want to show you where they get the idea of soul sleep. One of it is they sleep in Jesus. That's talking about your body. That's why we love to bury people lying on their backs with a pillow under their heads because that's typically how we sleep. Psalm 6, 5, For in death there is no remembrance of thee in the grave. Who shall give thee thanks? Uh-oh. Maybe. They're right. There's no remembrance of God once we die. For in death there is no remembrance of thee. Oh. Let's go over to eighty-eight, twelve. Maybe they're right. Soul sleepers. There's many verses like this. And these verses are just like 1 Peter 3.19. They're to confuse those that don't want to trust the Bible and believe what God has said. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. It's not to be asleep in your spirit. Psalm 88 and verse 12, Shall thy wonders be known in the dark, and thy righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? Do you mean I'm going to a place where I forget everything? (laughs) Yes, sister, go ahead and nod your head. Are we going to a place where we forget everything? (laughs) Yes and no. My body's going to forget everything. My combined nature as a man with my spirit in my body is going to forget everything. 
but my spirit's not going to forget anything. The purpose of this kind of language is to confuse those that don't want to trust the Bible, and it's to explain that while we're here on earth, we want to use the time where we have our spirits in our bodies. And that's David's appeal. Lord, if I'm dead, my tongue is going to quickly, the moisture is going to go out of it, and it's going to corrupt in the ground, in the casket. It won't be able to praise you. My spear will be praising you in heaven, but here on earth when I have those two put together, and we are supposed to be together, when your, bo- when your spirit is without its body, what does Paul call that? It's an N-word in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Naked. Because God made us to be together, and He's going to put us back together with our bodies. A glorified body. These are the kind of verses they use. These are the followers of Ellen White, Seventh-day Adventist, and Charles Russell, the JWs. And so forth. They couldn't go quite as far as Roman Catholic purgatory, so they invented soul sleep. What a mess. Where are the spirits of the damned while they wait for the final day of God's judgment? In a fiery place of torment right now. How are they going to be cast there? By formal sentencing and by having their bodies reattached to them. There's no reason to invent all these different places. There's no limbo. There's no purgatory. There's no she-hole, Gehenna, Tartarus, Hades and all the rest of the words they want to come up with. I love the fact that the King James translators use the, use the word hell for so many different things and it requires us to rightly divide the word of truth. When the Bible says, Thou wilt not leave his soul in hell, nor suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Oh, I forgot about that text. You know what? Jesus may have gone to hell. Thou wilt not leave his soul in hell, nor suffer thine holy one to see. Does it say that in the Bible? Three times. Psalm 16, Acts 2, Acts 13. Thou wilt not leave his soul in hell. Then Jesus must have gone to hell. Thou wilt not leave his soul in hell. Neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Does that one word help us? So the word soul is being used for body. Hell is being used for death and grave. Does that make sense with the rest of the Bible? Proverbs 23, 13 and 14. Withhold not correction from the child, for if thou beatest him with the rod, he shall not die. Thou shalt beat him with the rod and shalt deliver his soul from hell. Anybody want to go to heaven when they die? Come forward and I'll take care of it. (laughs) Come on, think. Why do we discipline our children? So that they will obey and not have an untimely death by committing crimes that are worthy of capital punishment. If thou beatest him with the rod, thou shalt deliver his soul from hell. It's talking about his, that there, it's talking about his combined life of being cut off early. The Bible's filled with those descriptions, and we're thankful for every one of them. When the rich man woke up the second after he died, he was in fire immediately, and it's called hell in the Bible. If you want to know why they're cast in again, this is the third time I'm telling you, They then have their bodies, and it's a formal sentencing. Our system is very similar. You don't go to a holding tank. You go to heaven. Jesus Christ is there. The spirits of just men made perfect. When Abraham died, it says he was gathered to his people. A family reunion in heaven. When Isaac died, he was gathered to his people. When Jacob died, he was gathered to his people. When David's little baby, the first baby by Bathsheba died, David said, he cannot return to me, but I will go to him. Where is him? 
in the paradise of God, where the tree of life is, where Jesus and God are, where there are un things that are unlawful to utter until we get there, where the thief is. It's called the third heaven. It's called Abraham's bosom. Abraham's there. It's the city of the living God. We don't believe Jesus went to hell. Uh, should I just say it that simply? We don't believe that Jesus went to hell. We don't believe in such a thing as soul sleep. You would not believe what Kenneth Copeland, Kenneth Hagin, Joyce Meyer believe about Jesus going to hell. He took on Satan's nature. For three days and three nights, he took on Satan's nature. He took on Satan's nature. He became Satan in nature. For three days and three nights, he was born again out of hell. And our redemption took place in hell. It did not take place in the cross. His death on the cross did not redeem us. Jesus had to go to hell for us. And John Calvin, though he holds himself back from such a ridiculous position, gets frighteningly close. Because, and you should hear, it's, it's Institutes of the Christian Religion, Book 2, Section 16, Chapter 16, and Sections 8 through 12. John Calvin is so committed to the Apostles' Creed, he has to come up with an explanation for the words, he descended into hell. And you should see him struggle with the fact that he has committed himself to a creed. And brethren, let us never commit ourselves to a creed except this one. Right. He had committed himself to a creed, and if he had committed himself to a creed and agreed that it was the apostles and agreed that by church tradition it was accepted as authority, then every word in it has authority and he has to deal with the words he descended into hell. And so he takes a correct, a correct doctrine about the struggling and warfare that Jesus fought on the cross against devils by being forsaken of his father, the dogs and the lion that are described of in Psalm 22, but he, he, he takes all of that and shoves it into the words of the Apostles' Creed. He descended into hell. And, and I only share John Calvin with you to remind you as to why we are Baptists. And Baptists typically are very, very careful about not committing themselves to creeds or confessions so they can stick with the Bible. Because once you do, do you know what it would happen to a, a minister in a mainline denomination if he were to say that the Apostles' Creed is heresy? He is in trouble. And most of them don't have the courage to do that because they think there's authority in church tradition. The only tradition we believe in is apostolic tradition from the apostles. And we're told to believe in that in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 15. 1 Peter 3. Let's finish in two minutes. Can, can you get there in one? 1 Peter 3. I hope I said enough about verse 19. Which sometime were disobedient. Who were disobedient? Those spirits that were in prison sometime were disobedient. When was that sometime? When once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah? When were they disobedient? The 120 years that God waited until He sent the flood for Noah to build the ark. While well, the ark was a preparing. We don't know exactly that it took Noah 120 years to build it, but we know that there were 120 years from God announcing the flood until the flood arrived. But when you think of a, of a man and his three sons without modern equipment building a boat the size of the ark with three decks, it would have taken a little while. And remember, preaching was his full-time job. So this was his part-time job at night with the boys in the backyard. It was, it was 450 feet long. It was a pretty big boat. 
And so it was a, it was a preparing. Noah was building it, but Noah was preaching by the Spirit of Christ that was in him. And that generation of his called the world of the ungodly were disobedient. He obeyed the commandment of God. God said, I'm going to send a flood upon the earth and drown everyone. You build a boat that's going to take you 120 years. You get your wife and your three sons and their wives into that boat and save yourselves. You get a certain number of such, such and such kind of animals in there as well. Noah, by faith, obeyed and saved his family. He is considered one of the five great men in the Bible because of his righteousness and intercession for the safety of his family. He is listed in Jeremiah 15.1 and Ezekiel 14.4 as one of those five great men that could save others by their righteous lives and the intercession they had with God. He saved the other seven members of his family. We don't read one good thing about them. All we read about is by faith Noah. By faith Noah. Do I have some men in here that are going to be like Noah? That are going to be the Jims and Tims? By faith Tim? By faith Jim? We're in few... That is, eight souls were saved by water. Noah and his family, eight souls. Noah and his wife, three sons and their three wives, eight souls were saved by water. The water lifted up the ark. God planned the ark. God put Noah in the ark. God closed the door of the ark. And God sent the wrath upon the earth. And that wrath destroyed all others that had the breath of life in them on the planet. But that same wrath.